Every January, it seems to sneak up on me. Maybe it's because uh, we're just coming off of Christmas and New Year's, or maybe it's because it was never a federal holiday when I was in grade school, <laughs> or maybe because uh, my freedom was never really an issue and when I was a kid growing up. My personal freedom was never threatened, except by my older sisters, who gave me a hard time once in a while. But I'm talking about the observance of the Martin Luther King Day, the third Monday of January. Kim and I were just talking about this the other night. Um, we both grew up in the Northeast, and we uh, were fairly, frankly, ignorant uh, of what was happening in much of the rest of the country when it came to prejudice and the plight of many black Americans. And uh, perhaps a movie helps stimulate that. If you would like to see a good movie, go see Hidden Figures. It opens one's eyes to the plight of black women around 1962 in the South. But, you know, freedom in America as a white boy up in central New York was something I never thought twice about. I simply took it for granted. But I have since learned that freedom doesn't come without a price. Dr. King's most famous message, um, his, his speech, I Have a Dream, was delivered at the Washington Mall August 28, 1963. And while the kind of freedom that Dr. King envisioned is most certainly a worthwhile goal, the kind of freedom Jesus talked about and the Apostle Paul wrote about in our passage we're going to consider this morning is even more significant. And yet, those of us who are believers too often don't think twice about it. We simply take it for granted. We simply live in the present, not thinking twice about the price that sets us free today. This is what Jesus said about being set free. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now what is Jesus saying? He's saying that we need to be set free with the truth. That the truth will set us free. Elsewhere, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the truth that sets us free. Free from what? Free from slavery to sin. And the Bible is clear that we are born into this world as sinners, as slaves to sin, with a sin nature and a sinful behavior. So in order to become part of God's family, I have to be set free from slavery to sin. I need to be redeemed. Since a slave to sin has no permanent place in the household of God, I need a redeemer to pay the price to set me free. 
Now, you and I wouldn't know that unless Jesus told us. And now he has. And so now you are no longer ignorant. There was a price, a hefty price, that was paid to set you free. And so today is the day you and I break out of our ignorance and into the light of the truth about our freedom and stop taking it for granted and be intelligently, spiritually, and eternally thankful. At least that's, that's what I hope to accomplish this morning. To inspire you. That you and I might celebrate our freedom in Christ with a fresh set of eyes and think twice about the price. Our series has been called Written in Red. Last week we considered how Christ set us free from the past. How our faith in Christ means replacing our futile attempts to keeping religious rules and then replacing that with growing in, a, in an abiding love relationship with the Lord Jesus. So today we're considering how, because of the work of Christ, we are free in the present, right now, through Christ as our Redeemer. So I want to begin with a definition. To be redeemed means to be set free by the payment of a price. To be set free by the payment of a price. Now while slavery is somewhat foreign to us, in the ancient world, men, women, uh, children were routinely bought and sold into slavery as part of their world. They were owned, they were traded, they were purchased, they were put to work. They could be handed down from one generation to another. You might be born into slavery or you might go into slavery, into debt, into slavery legally in that culture. And we're going to look at that one in a minute. You might be captured by an army and, they, and part of the spoils of war, you're put into slavery. But if you became a slave in those days, there were only two ways for you to get yourself out of slavery. In very rare cases, a condemned individual may have enough money to purchase his own way out of slavery, called redemption. More often, you were a slave and somebody took pity on you. And they purchased you out of slavery. And they, having paid that price, could make you work for them as a slave. Or on rare occasions they might even set you free. So in redemption, there is this divine exchange. One man pays the price for another man to go free. Now with that in your heads, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bible. And I want to consider the freedom that you have presently in Christ. It's on page 1079 in the white Bible in a seat near you. And uh, you can turn there. I, I want you to turn there. I want you to see what God says about this, not just what Jay says about it, and see if what Jay says is true about what God says. <laughs> and you're also welcome to take that Bible home with you. If you don't have a Bible at home, please, you can have that. Take it home with you. Verse 7, Ephesians 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Now I want you to notice those first few words in Ephesians 1, 1, 7 and 8. The first few words are in the present tense. Very important. We have, right now, today, in the present, redemption. 
We have right now, today, in the present, forgiveness of our trespasses or sins. And it is all due to the fact that in Him, in Christ, God the Father has lavished upon us the riches of His grace. And it is all through His blood, Jesus' blood, written in red, as it were, our Redeemer. Now in the Old Testament, there's a true story that helps us understand the concept of a kinsman redeemer, which is a picture, a foreshadowing of the work of Christ. It comes from the Old Testament book of Ruth. It's only four short chapters, and I'd recommend that you read it this afternoon. Uh, read it sometime this week. You might do what I did, because my wife loves to hear a love story once in a while. You might read it to your wife, as I did this past week, so, you can, so she can hear it from you. It is a love story, but it is also a record of how a famine in Judah forced this Israelite woman, Naomi, and her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons to flee uh, Israel and go to Moab, where they, these two sons of theirs ended up marrying two Moabite women. Now, when, Noab, when Naomi's husband soon dies, and her sons die as well, she seeks to return back to Bethlehem and Judah, and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, begs to go with her. Ruth pleads with Naomi, saying these familiar words that you may remember from the book, Your people will be my people, and your God my God. And so Naomi agrees. And Ruth travels back with her to Bethlehem. Now, because Naomi's husband and two sons died, and all the males in their, uh, mem male members of their family died, she lost all her houses, she lost all the land, she lost all the possessions that she had, and she legally went into the debt, into slavery. So her daughter-in-law, when they return, Ruth, is forced to go into the fields and to glean. And there, while in the fields, she meets this man, Boaz. He's the owner of one of those fields. And Ruth tells her mother-in-law how kind this gentleman, Boaz, was to her. Well, she told Ruth to go back and look, find that man, Boaz, again, because he is their kinfolk, that he could have legal right to redeem them, to purchase them out of slavery, out of poverty. Now, in the Old Testament, there were four conditions that one had to meet to be a kinsman redeemer and to pay the price. Number one, he had to be kin. He had to be a kin of the family, of the bloodline. A blood relative. Number two, he had to be acceptable. He acceptable to all the parties. They all had to agree. He had to be able to pay the price. That is, he himself couldn't be in debt. He had to pay the price for redemption. Number four, he had to be willing. Number four, he had to be willing. So Boaz, she, he really took a liking to Ruth. And then he was told that he was kin to Ruth and that her family, and, and that he had the right to redemption. But you come to chapter 4, and there, there's, a, there's a kink in that chain, because he wasn't the number one kinsman. There was another who was, who was closer in kin than Boaz. And so Boaz was number two in line. So Boaz and this number one kinsman have this meeting. They come together, and he tells, Boaz tells them that you're closer to kin to Naomi's family than he is, and that he has every right to redeem the family and to and purchase them out of slavery and out of poverty. Well, the number one kinsman agreed. The Bible doesn't tell us his name, but he agreed. But then Boaz tells them that there's a little catch to it. And the catch is that because along with paying the price of redemption, you also have to take 
Naomi and Ruth and assume the whole family responsibility of carrying on the family line. Well, that presented a bit of a problem with the number one kinsman, and he changes his mind. He says, I think I'll pass. Uh, Boaz, it's all yours. And so Boaz pays the price. Boaz and Ruth are married, and Ruth, a Moabitess, comes into the line that eventually would lead to King David and that would eventually lead to the Lord Jesus. But it is a fitting example of one who was kin, that is, he was acceptable, and he was able, and he was willing to serve as a redeemer. And in the same way, our Lord Jesus Christ is our kinsman. He gave up the glories of heaven and he came down to be one of us. The word became flesh. He became one of us. He, was he acceptable? Yes, he was acceptable. He was the God-man. Acceptable to God and acceptable to man. Was he able? Yes, he was the God-man and totally without sin. The perfect Lamb of God. No debt. Fourthly, was he willing? And all you have to do is look at the cross. And you have the answer. He laid down his life for us. He paid the price in full. So now let's look again at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. See, this is what I want you to see with a fresh set of eyes. This is what I want to do to inspire you this morning. Number one, today you are free from slavery to sin. Today, right now, you are free from slavery to sin. Sin no longer has custody of you. By nature, by the Adamic nature that's passed down to us, we are all slaves to sin. Now that may be an ugly thought to you, but I'm telling you this, it came from Jesus' own lips, you're a slave to sin. Now someone may say, Jay, I don't think I'm a slave to sin. And my answer to you would be, well, then you don't know yourself very well. Because I'll tell you this, if you knew yourself, you'd know that's the way you came into this world. If you're a parent and you have a child here, I would like to ask you a question. When did you finally come to the point where you taught your child how to do wrong? I mean, when did you tell them how to do wrong? When did you, when, what, what date was that that you started teaching them how to sin, how to disobey, and how to break the rules? That's an important one to teach your child. You didn't have to teach them. You didn't have to because they do wrong by nature. Little children are born knowing how to trespass. It's part of who they are. And it's exactly the same in the spiritual realm. We all come into this world by nature as sinful and wicked. We are all by nature slaves to sin. Sin then is like a chain around our neck. It weighs us down. It holds us back. It enslaves you and me, leaving us all helpless, leaving us all hopeless unless somebody, anybody reaches, well, not anybody, but somebody reaches down to help us up. And that's Jesus. Because we have redemption through his blood. Now, if you're here this morning and you hear us talk about blood, that could be a real turnoff. And 
in one sense, I want to apologize, but it's, it's very important. I can understand that blood isn't really very pretty. Uh, we just heard about talking about the United Airlines and that guy being dragged down the aisle. Now there's blood coming from his mouth. I, I saw that. And I said, that's all I need. I saw it once. You don't need to show me again. Because blood has a way of making people squeamish, you know. And the thought of the blood of Jesus Christ can be quite appalling. But if you take the blood of Christ out of the story of Christ, you just destroy the Christian faith. As the song goes, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. Jesus redeemed us with his blood. I want to ask you a question. How much money would it take for you to pay for one of your sins? How much? All the sins that you've committed. All the sins you've committed since you woke up this morning and came here. I, I had to call my wife last night because I said, honey, I got to get, she's, she's away right now. I said, honey, I got to get to sleep. I, I got to get up tomorrow morning pretty early. And she had something more she wanted to say. And I, I was a little short and I said, look, I got to go. And I, sat, I laid there in bed, and I said, oh, man, i got to call her back. And I did. I called her back and apologized, and she told me some more. And then I went, <laughs> I went to sleep. Peacefully, I went to sleep. It doesn't, it doesn't take anything for us to lose it. Right? So how much would it, how much would it cost to pay for your sin? $5? $10? For $100? $1,000 for your sin? Think God would accept that? How about if you had as much money as President Trump? Then would you have enough money to pay for a sin? Or all your sin? How about all the sheikhs in the Middle East? Then would you have enough? How about as much money as Jeff Bezos? Bezos, founder, chairman, CEO of Amazon, and projected soon to be the richest man in the world. How many sins... Could you forgive with all that money? Zero. Zero. Down here on earth, money talks. Down here on earth, you want to be accepted. It takes money. Up in heaven, blood talks. You want to be accepted in heaven? You need the blood of Jesus Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood. And redemption means you've been set free. You've been set free from the penalty of sin. That means no more guilt, no more dwelling on the past, no more shame and memories to haunt you, no more fear of hell, no more anger and despair. The debt of sin is canceled and the chains are broken forever. The bonds that bind us, that hold us back and all those dirty habits that we can't seem to break, all of them are gone forever. No, no more price on our heads, no more debt to be paid. You can't do it anyways. This is what people need to hear. Someone else has paid the debt and set you free. There are people in our neighborhoods, some of whom might be even here today among us, who are trying to desperately get rid of their sin and get right with God. Have their sins forgiven. They're coming to church. They're giving money. They'll do good deeds, whatever it takes. And there are others who are trapped in the chains of terrible sexual sin. 
And since they cannot get free from that sexual sin, they, de- they decide to redefine it as generic, as inborn, as constitutional. And since they, they can't change, they, they come to the conclusion, well, God just made me this way. Well, I'll tell you, there is no sin, no matter how bad, no trespass, no iniquity, so deep into the human soul that it cannot be forgiven by, and wiped away by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel truth. And that is the hope of our faith. All these dear people who've deluded themselves into thinking, God made me this way. No, God didn't make you that way. You and I, no matter what the sin may be, we are born with a spiritual tendency toward evil. That's our bent. That's our default. And the only way that evil will ever be broken is by coming to the cross of Jesus Christ and having our sins forgiven and being set free by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what redemption is. It means you and I are set free from the sin, whatever that sin may be. And the chains that bind you are broken. Today, we are set free from slavery to sin. Number two, you are priceless to God. I don't feel very priceless. It doesn't matter how you feel. You are priceless to God. You are beyond worth. See, it's not because of what you are. It's because of what it costs Jesus to purchase you back. In you, in your heart, in your flesh, God says, there dwells no good thing. It's not as if God looked down to you or me and he said, hey, wow, you're pretty good. I I think I could use you. I'd like you to be part of my team. And he, and he saves you. No, that's not how it works. We, you and I, deserve, because of our sin, eternal punishment. One day you might go to an auction, and you might see this little dinky trinket there going to be sold. <clears throat> you think to yourself, who in the world would pay any money for that thing? I mean, that thing's worthless. I can see just by looking at it. And then uh, the auction starts. And somebody over there bids $50. And someone offers $150. $150. And someone offers $200. And you're thinking to yourself, what is wrong with these people? That thing is a piece of junk. It's worthless. It doesn't matter nobody. Nobody would want to pay that. You can't pay me to buy that thing. And then in the end, it sells for $500. Because it is an heirloom to some great sculptor who made it two or 300 years ago. See, what was junk to you turns out to be precious to somebody else. Now listen. In an auction, and that's what we're talking about when it comes to redemption. In an auction, the thing is worth only what a person is willing to pay. So think about what you must be worth. Think about what it costs to purchase you back out of bondage to slavery to sin. Cost in the blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. Today you're free from slavery to sin. Number two, you are precious to God. Number three, you couldn't be in a better place.
You couldn't be in a better place. A couple years ago, my son Joshua was working for Team Toyota, and uh, one of the supervisors asked him if he wanted tickets to to the Philadelphia Union game. And Josh said, sure, and he ended up taking me and his brother with me and with, with us, and they were sweet seats. And I don't mean sweet, I mean they were sweet seats. They were Paul Molnar suite, who's the number one contributor to, at that time, I don't know if he still is, to Team Toyota. Team Toyota's the number one sponsor of the Philadelphia Union. I'm sitting in his suite. Now, some of you are thinking, that's not a big deal, I've been in Philadelphia, I don't care. It's, it was big to me, and I, I, I sat there, you could be there, and you could, you could be inside, you could watch the game outside. You could go in, you could go out, whatever you wanted to do. If it rained, you didn't care. And then they had these big screen TVs on either side of the wall. You could look this way, you could look that way. It didn't matter. And then, and then they had food to boot. All this food was brought in. I was a, it was a whole lavish thing laid out before us. I had, we had sandwiches, we had salads, we had cheesesteaks. They had the guy with the grill, you know, with the white outfit. He was grilling it right there for you. You know, I had all you wanted. Man, I couldn't have been in a better place. You sat up there in the seats, you looked out, all those people out there, and I'm in the best seat in the house. Couldn't have been in a better place. And the best part about it, it was free didn't cost me a thing. You even had a ticket to parking. You right now, today, in Christ, could not be in a better place. You have been set free from sin. You have redemption right now. You and I stand before God as his sons and as his daughters. We are forgiven. We are seated in the heavens with Jesus Christ. We are seated in the heavens with the Holy Spirit. We're okay. We're in the best place. We couldn't be in a better place. We couldn't have a better position than we have right now. And that is a result of the redemption that we have through the grace that God has lavished out before us by his grace. You are free from slavery to sin. You are precious to God. And you right now couldn't be in a better place. And that's the greatest love story ever told. Do you believe it? Once there was a man who committed a crime. He'd been put in prison in California. He had served his time and he was out on parole. And he moved with his wife from California to Texas in order to start their life over again. He had about a month and a half left on his parole. And things were really getting hard. I mean, really hard for him to make ends meet there in Texas. He couldn't find a job that lasted, and he, had, he knew that if he went back to California, he had connections. He had people. He knew people. But he also was afraid to go back to California because there, there, there were his friends that had gotten him into trouble, that he hung around with, that he ganged with, and he, and he knew that if he'd go back there, he'd start running with them again, they'd start running with him. He was afraid that he went back to California, he'd get in trouble. He'd break his parole, and he'd go back to prison. And this is how many Christians... Live out their redemption. See, you don't think that you really have been set free. And therefore, you don't live like you have really been set free. You think and you live like you're on parole with God. You're afraid. You just mess up one more time. You're back in the can. My friend, you are in Christ. 
You are not on parole. You have been redeemed. He came into the prison and he opened the door and it can never be closed on you again. He led you out with his hand. He paid the price. You are not on parole. You are never going back to the prison again. You've been set free. He unlocked the chains. He opened that door and he let you out. Redemption is a free gift. No strings attached. It is a free gift. You don't have to be good enough to be redeemed. You know why? Because good people don't need to be redeemed. Only bad people need to be redeemed. Only bad people need to be, be set free from prison. Only slaves need to be liberated. And you don't even have to try. You don't have to do anything. Just accept the pardon that he offers you. Because that is what redemption is. You're not on parole. You're, you've been pardoned. He's not putting you out there on conditional behavior. It's a complete and utter pardon from all your sin. And that is the truth. So don't take it for granted. Freedom does not come without a price. So praise his name because he paid it in full. And all you have to do is accept it. The year, was nine, the year was 1829. The man by the name of George Wilson had been arrested, tried, convicted of theft and murder. And because his family is well known in higher places, he was sent to prison, but his family made appeal after appeal after appeal, and eventually the appeal reached the desk of the President of the United States, Andrew Jackson, at the time. And after President Jackson reviewed the files, and because he knew the family and they knew their background, and, he, uh, and for, for their account, he offered not just clemency to George Wilson, but, he, but a, a pardon to him. And they excitedly took the news into the prison. And George Wilson refused the pardon. He said he didn't want it because he was guilty and he deserved to die. They told him, you can't refuse a pardon from the President of the United States. And he says, yes, I can. And I do. Now, this is a true story. He refused the pardon. That set forth a tremendous legal battle because something like this had never arisen in the United States up until that time in American history. And eventually it worked out worked his way all the way up to the Supreme Court, and Chief Justice John Marshall wrote these words. Quote, A pardon is of no effect until it is accepted by the one for whom it is intended. He went on to say, quote, Though it is almost inconceivable that a condemned criminal would refuse a pardon, if he does refuse it, the pardon is of no effect. George Wilson must die. Unquote. And die he did, because he would not accept the pardon that had been offered to him. Now what I'm going to say to you is a rather hard statement, but I'm going to say it. If you go to hell, don't blame God. Don't tell him you never knew. Because now you know. 
you are no longer ignorant of the truth. If you accept the pardon from God that he offers you through Jesus Christ, then you, if you refuse that pardon, you will have to live with the results of that decision of refusal. Because Jesus Christ has paid it all. But he will not force his way into your heart. So the pardon's been offered. And now what you need to do is to reach out your hand and say, I take it. I receive it. And if you do, I'm going to lead you in a very short prayer. If that's how you feel, that's where your heart is right now, I'm going to lead you in a short prayer. And you can say this prayer, and if you mean it from your heart, you will be saved like I was, and like many of the people might be sitting around you here this morning were saved as well, by saying a prayer very similar to this. So you pray from your heart. I'd like you to close your eyes and bow your heads, and I'm going to say the prayer, and you can pray after me in your, in your, in your heart, silently. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner, and I know I cannot save myself. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me as my Redeemer. And thank you for paying the price for all of my sin. Please come into my heart, Lord, and save me. I believe Jesus died for me, and he rose from the dead. I open my heart, I open my life to you. In Jesus' name. Now, with all your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if you said that prayer and you meant it from your heart, would you just kindly just raise your hand and lift your eyes and look at me so I can see you and I know that you just trusted Christ this morning? If you said that prayer and you meant it from your heart, God will save you. Pray with me again. Father, forgive us for thinking and living a defeated life under the weight of our sin. Thank you for Jesus who has set us free from slavery to sin and its penalty. And may we think and live today with a fresh set of eyes focused on Jesus, our Redeemer, and his grace lavishly poured out for me and each one here. May the power of the Holy Spirit living within each of us enable us to overcome the darts of the enemy that would, that would have us defeated and live defeated lives. May we live in light of the truth this morning and our days ahead with the precious gospel of our Redeemer. In whose name we pray. Amen.